Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series Beyond Markets. My name is Lutz Timmen and I am Head of Pricing Education and Initiatives at Julius Baer. Today, I'm here with Gina Betty. Gina is an LGBT consultant for leading global organizations and best-selling author. Hello, Gina. Thank you for joining us today for this episode on why it is so important to bring your true selves to work. Thank you so much, Lutz. It's great to be here with you today. Excellent, Gina. So LGBT consultant, that sounds quite interesting. Tell me a little bit about that, what it means. Does it mean that you just bring more color to companies or are you just adding glitter to PowerPoint presentations? <laughs> that's a great question. So whilst I love a bit of sparkle, no, <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> LGBT consultant, what that means is I work with multinational organizations to create fully inclusive workplaces. So I had this experience when I first started in my career. And I want to ensure that no one experiences the same things in the workplace that I did. No one should be bullied or feel unsafe, and none of us should have to censor who we are. I believe that my life's work is to ensure everyone can bring all of themselves to work without fear of reproach. And I want to make sure no young person has to go through what I did growing up as LGBTQ+. I'm on a mission to work with larger organisations. I'm on a mission to create work environments where people thrive through unleashing untapped potential in workplaces around the globe. Day to day, what that looks like is I consult with multinational companies, advising them on LGBT plus related issues, as well as psychological safety. And I create and deliver bespoke training, be that live, in-person or e-learning modules around psychological safety and LGBT inclusion in the workplace. Now, look, I'm conscious that you might not know what I mean by psychological safety. So should I give you a bit of a definition? Would that be helpful? I think that's certainly very helpful. But before that, maybe let's just go one step back. And I would just wonder, what are actually the biggest challenges that LGBT plus people face in the workplace today? Well, let me start off by saying we've come a long way in terms of LGBT rights. I think it's important to recognize that. Same-sex marriage in the UK, we're now teaching about same-sex relationships in schools. Pride events take place around the world. So on the outside, you might think that all is good and LGBT plus individuals are on a level playing field. However, to be gay in a number of places around the world is still punishable by life imprisonment, whipping and lashes. When we look at the UN member states, currently there are six UN member states that impose the death penalty. And in the UK, conversion therapy is still legal, despite all the lobbying that's taken place over the years. So that's just a little bit of scene setting to start us off. Now, you asked what are the challenges that LGBT individuals face in the workplace. So let's start by looking at a few of the wider influences, then hone in on some specifics. Let's start with social conditioning. You live in a heteronormative world where you're taught that to be heterosexual and cisgender is normal and anything outside of that is wrong or not accepted. From a young age, you experience social conditioning and you inherit the things that you learn about what is right and wrong. LGBT plus people have more layers of social conditioning to unpick than non-LGBT plus people from living in this heteronormative world. We've also got to remember that many LGBT plus individuals grew up not having any LGBT plus references or a safe space to explore their sexuality. 
And on the flip side of that, non-LGBT plus individuals were not educated or given the safe space to ask questions about LGBT plus life. And the impact of that can be seen today in the workplace and in society. You'll see things like misunderstandings, stereotyping, judgments, criticism, hatred, aggression, frustration, abuse, bullying and harassment. So that's a little bit about social conditioning. Let's move on to filters. As a result of your social conditioning, you developed cisgender and heterosexual filters. So everything that you see and experience in the world runs through these filters, whether at home or at work, LGBT plus or otherwise. And without knowing it, everyone in your organisation is making decisions, having conversations and engaging in their roles through these cisgender and heterosexual filters. That can be incredibly damaging for LGBT plus individuals. I want to talk to you next about psychological safety. So living in a heteronormative world has resulted in LGBT plus people not feeling safe or comfortable to bring their whole self to work. There was a report that came out from Deloitte. I think it was called Uncovering Talent. I think it was a new model of inclusion. And it states in that report that nearly one out of every two respondents covers at least one part of their identity. And they describe covering as a strategy through which individuals manage or downplay their differences. Covering can prevent an individual from bringing their authentic selves to work and hinder an organisation from creating a true culture of inclusion. I'm also going to touch on mental health a bit for you here. Mental health is a big issue in the LGBT plus community. Mind, a mental health charity in England, state that 42% of gay men and 70% of lesbians experience mental health problems compared to 25% of the wider population. So it's quite a big difference there. And this is because LGBTQ plus people experience bullying, rejection, stigma and discrimination. And those who identify as LGBT plus are more likely to develop problems like low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, eating problems, misusing drugs and alcohol, self-harm and other mental health problems. So there's some kind of wider issues that LGBT plus individuals experience. I just want to very briefly talk about some of the challenges that individuals face in the workplace specifically. So we've got things like dealing with stereotypes and people making assumptions about them. We've also got bias, and I'm talking systemic and individual biases here. So individual biases are where attitudes or stereotypes affect your views, your actions and your decision-making ability. So let me give you a stat here again. Deloitte, in their State of Inclusion survey, stated that 56% of LGBT plus people said they experienced bias in the workplace at least once a month. Wow, that's pretty impressive, actually. And shocking, huh? Yeah, very shocking. Yeah, well, I, I certainly thought so. We've also got things like privilege that has an impact on people. We've got fear of exclusion in the workplace. We've also got things like people not feeling safe and comfortable to come out at work. Fear and anxiety about being outed at work. I specifically had that when I was employed. And then lastly, we've got things like discrimination, harassment, bullying and stigma. So there's quite a range of different things going on there, really. Indeed, indeed there is. Indeed there is. Now, Dina, you mentioned one particular thing in uh, your answer right now that was not bringing or not being able to bring your whole self to work. What does it mean, actually, to bring our true selves, our whole selves to work? Well, your true self is who you are. Imagine for me, if you will, an iceberg, and imagine that iceberg represents you. The bit that you see above the surface are the parts of your identity that people can see and they tend to make judgments about. So, for example, things like your age, your gender, your skin colour and your race. 
below the surface, these are things that people wouldn't know about you unless you told them. So for example, your life experiences, your preferred learning style, your heritage, value system, political views, educational background, the languages you speak, your sexual orientation. There's loads of different things that are going on underneath the surface there. Now, the thing that we know about icebergs is that the majority of it is submerged under the waterline. And so are most of the things that make up who you are. Now, everything above the surface and everything below the surface, all of these things are who you are. They're intertwined. And that's what makes you unique. You can't separate any of those things out and remain healthy and happy. Now, when an iceberg melts or breaks apart, it flips or capsizes. And what it's doing is it's changing its center of gravity. Icebergs are unpredictable and can capsize at any moment without warning. And we have a similar response emotionally when we try to hide or censor our true selves. So the entirety of that iceberg is your true self or your whole self. Now, your question was, what does it mean to bring our true selves to work? So bringing our true selves to work means bringing all of who you are to work, every part of the iceberg. Now, let's take this just one step further. Imagine for me now, if you will, a nesting doll. So nesting dolls, for those of you that aren't aware, are a set of wooden dolls of decreasing size placed one inside another. It's like a stacking doll. If you're not sure what that is, then take a look at the internet to see an image. Now, the tiny doll in the middle of that nesting doll is your true self. But this isn't what your colleagues see in the workplace. What they actually see is a version of you that you've created and honed over the years to feel safe. So they see the full version of the doll, the largest one, the one on the outside of that nesting doll. But shouldn't we accept that some people simply want to distinguish between work life and private life and uh, just don't want to bring their true selves to work? Yes, absolutely. We've got to remember that everyone has different preferences. And the key point here is knowing whether you're choosing to distinguish between your work and private life as a preference or if it's a safety mechanism to keep you safe. So I asked my LinkedIn followers, I had about 16,000, I think it was, around at the time that I did the poll. And I asked them, what were the reasons that they don't bring their true self to work? It was really interesting, the, the findings of that. They said six things. The first was past hurts and experiences in the workplace that are impacting on them now. The second thing that they said was the high standards that they set for themselves. The third is their childhood programming and conditioning, be it cultural the media, political and social conditioning. The fourth thing was around other people's expectations of them, what others think of them and how other people treat them. The fifth thing was around perceived self-worth, so how they feel about themselves, what they think about themselves and what they say to themselves. And then the sixth thing is what they believe other people think about them and why. Now, people said that they find it difficult to bring their true self to work. They said it's a lot easier to hide behind a persona, to not be their true self. To hide behind, I heard this quite often actually, to hide behind a professional mask. And what they said was they were censoring, they were hiding, they were cultivating what they wanted people to know about them. And most people said that it was a safety mechanism, not a preference. It was really fascinating. Indeed, indeed, absolutely, you know. And that's, as I said, you know, it's, it's a little bit shocking actually, you know, because, uh, yeah, you understand that everyone doesn't want to display their whole life in front of the work colleagues maybe but still having to do so just because of fear. That's really shocking, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, why, why is it important in your view that we bring our whole selves to work? I mean, what's in it for not only the individual, but what's also in it for the line managers, for the peers, for the corporation per se? 
Great question. Again, I think I'll tackle each of those individually, if I may. So first of all, I'll start off by talking about why it's important we bring our whole selves to work on an individual level. And then I'll look at it on a team and organizational level. So individual level, we spend most of our working hours at work with our colleagues. We all want to feel happy, healthy, and be able to thrive at work, right? That's what we all want. Absolutely. We want to feel valued. We want to feel respected. We want to have great relationships with those around us and to enjoy coming to work. We also want to be able to be creative and innovative in our work. We want to learn. We want to develop our skills and knowledge. And we want to be able to deal with internal and external challenges with ease. When you bring your whole self to work, that is what happens. You are happier and you're more fulfilled at work. And this carries into other areas of your life too. On the flip side of that, it's truly exhausting to hide or censor elements of who you are and to code switch. I'll talk more about code switching in a moment. Now, when you're not able to bring your whole self into the workplace, that creates distance. People can feel that you've got your barriers up and they can feel that you're not being your true self. That in turn makes you feel isolated and lonely. And when you aren't able to be your true self, you feel disconnected from your workplace, your colleagues, your family and friends, and they feel disconnected from you. You get this real sense of exclusion. I see. Now, not being your true self has got short-term consequences for individuals, as well as a long-term impact on physical, mental and emotional health. So now I'll move on to talk about why it's important to bring your whole selves to work for the team and the organisation. In essence, by creating the culture where everyone can bring their true self to work, you unleash the full potential of everyone that works in the organisation. You hire people based on their unique skills, their knowledge and their experience. Yet what we find is when people start their new role, they want to fit in and they want to feel accepted by colleagues and peers. So what they do is they hide and censor the bits that make them stand out which then impacts on curiosity, creativity, and innovation. Absolutely, yeah. I've been in that position. I, you know, I've been the one that's been hiding those things when I've started new roles. Now, as humans, we also have this thing where we compare ourselves to others and we adapt our behavior and our words. We hide and censor who we are to fit in. And we find in workplaces that individuals wear a professional mask to hide their true self from their colleagues, their team, their managers, and the senior leadership team. At work, the majority of individuals censor how they look, their behaviour, their body language, their mannerisms, what they say, do, and how they communicate. Now, code switching, I mentioned that just a few moments ago. It's common in the workplace. And code switching is when a person changes how they speak based on who they're around. Mm -hmm. It's a survival technique to help someone seamlessly blend into different professional and social situations. Now, when people are able to bring their whole self to work, they communicate and collaborate more effectively and a culture of curiosity and creativity is cultivated. So let me just finish off here by talking to you about what happens when you don't have an environment where people feel safe to bring their true self to work. So first of all, physical, mental and emotional health are impacted. Poor performance and decision making creeps in. Communication is strained and less effective. Blame culture emerges. And that results in grievances, conflicts, and liability risks. You see increased absenteeism and withdrawal behaviours. Individuals shut down, so they start to feel insecure, they compare themselves to other people, and they're not open and truthful. They go into what I call like a self-protection mode. Now, all of these things have an impact on a team level. So what's the impact on the organisation? Well, problems go unreported and corners are cut. There's a greater risk of accidents, incidents, and injuries. There are missed opportunities for innovation. 
There's a loss of productivity. You see an increase in costs, which then impacts on turnover. And then any wrongdoing, unethical or illegal behaviour remains unchallenged. And that's where tragic failures occur. Now, all of that could have been avoided if individuals felt safe to be their true self in the workplace. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally understand what you mean. It all makes sense, actually. There was one important buzzword that you just mentioned in your statement that was exclusion. Exclusion being obviously the opposite of inclusion. And exclusion is obviously something that we want to avoid. So I guess exclusion still does exist. How exactly does it look like in the workplace? Exclusion can come in many forms. I'll talk to you about a few of the most prominent that show up in the workplace, because otherwise we'll be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's look at some of the key ones. Individual bias. Now, I know I mentioned this earlier. So these are the attitudes or stereotypes that affect your views, your actions and your decision making ability. When you recognise that you've got biases, you're able to do something about them. But more often than not, we don't recognise that they exist. Individual bias spikes when you're less aware of what you're doing. So, for example, when you're on autopilot or when you're quick thinking. Stereotypes is another form of exclusion. Now, a stereotype is a fixed and oversimplified belief about a particular group or class of people. We make assumptions based on stereotypes. An assumption is something that's accepted as true or is certain to happen without proof. Let me give you a scenario to illustrate this point. You are on a long-haul flight to visit your colleagues overseas. You're travelling alone, but you're meeting up with colleagues at the other end. You get to your seat and you find you're sitting in the middle. As you look around in your immediate space, you notice the following people. You've got a couple in their 30s with a young daughter and new baby boy. You've got two black women in their 60s. They could be sisters. You've got a group of young men that appear to have been drinking. You've got a young white woman reading a copy of the Harvard Business Review. And you've got an older Asian man dressed in traditional Arabic clothing. So let me ask you a question. How quickly do you decide whether you will enjoy your flight? Do you decide immediately, within 30 minutes, or not at all? Well, immediately, obviously, that's clear. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, actually, unfortunately, it's clear, right? Yeah, unfortunately, yes, you're absolutely right. But we do. So here, our biases, our assumptions and stereotypes are coming into play without us even recognising it in that moment. In the workplace, we also need to be aware of privilege, prejudice and discrimination. Now, I mentioned privilege earlier. Prejudice refers to the attitudes and feelings that people have about members of other groups. We've also got discrimination. Now, discrimination makes people feel unsafe in the workplace. Discrimination, harassment, bullying and stigma are usually due to a lack of understanding. So what does all this look like on a day-to-day basis? I've thrown a few kind of buzzwords out there, but let me talk to you about what that means on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely, yes, please. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few things to think about now. And what I want you to do is silently answer yes or no to the following. Mm -hmm. Have there been times when you felt excluded at work because of any of the following? During conversations about parenting? In discussions about family life or relationships? In conversations delving into personal details with colleagues? When discussing activities external to work, maybe it was with leave entitlement, for your gender identity, for how you express your gender in the workplace, or maybe it was because of specific gender expectations, or your race, or maybe it was because of your culture and your background, or maybe it was because of your ability or a disability. Maybe it was because of your age, your sexuality, because of your educational background or because of your political views. 
Now, I asked you to silently answer yes or no. It'd be interesting to know if you were nodding to any of these, and I'm sure that you were nodding to maybe a couple of those. I'm not going to out you. I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> Don't That's worry. Fine. <laughs> I have to confess, I, Dina, I have to confess, I did indeed nod silently to some of these answers, and I'm pretty sure that many of our listeners did so as well. That totally makes sense. All of a sudden, it all comes together. And the question here would be now, what can we do as an individual to be more inclusive, to avoid this um, feeling of being excluded or excluding someone else? I always recommend that you start with some inner work because inclusion starts with you. So I can cover quite a lot of ground, but if you feel like it's too much, just let me know. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's focus maybe on three to four main pillars. Yeah, okay, fantastic. Yeah, let's do that. Well, let's start off with your thoughts. I want you to ask yourself these questions to begin to raise your awareness. What thoughts do you think that trigger you and stop you from performing to the best of your ability? What assumptions are you making in conversations? What biases do you have? Are your privileges impacting on your decision-making? And what are you anxious about in the workplace? And maybe the last question is, what are your biggest fears? So your thoughts are really important. I always suggest that people start with being more conscious of how they think. Language is another really important one. So listen to the language that you use with yourself and with other people. Is it supportive? Is it nurturing? Is it empowering? The language you use can either build someone up or it can tear them down. And the language that you use, we've got to remember, isn't only about the words that you use with other people, but also about the words that you use towards yourself. Be aware of the words that you are using. Do they exclude any of your colleagues? So think about age, gender, race, parental status, marital status, socioeconomic status, sexuality, educational background, languages that people speak, ethnicity, the list goes on and on. Language, we've got to remember, is all about intention, how it's perceived on the receiving end. So be mindful of that. That's also a little bit what we refer to as microaggression, I think, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The third thing that I would mention here is about taking responsibility for your behavior, actions, and how they impact on other people. And that means being honest about your abilities, your knowledge, and your skill level as well. If you make a mistake, own it. You have to take responsibility for yourself. No one else will. And don't blame someone else when things aren't working out for you. Don't fall into victim mode. Stand up and take full responsibility for what you experience at work and in your life. And you might start by asking yourself, where do I not take full responsibility for myself and my actions and my words? I'm going to mention another two things before we move on. The first is expectations. Think about the expectations that you have of other people. Have you communicated these? And the reason that I want to mention this is because often people are triggered and conflict occurs in the workplace when we don't speak out about our expectations. The last thing that I'll mention is our energy. We've got to remember that not everyone has the same energy, work style or preferences to you. When your energy interacts with someone else's, it may clash. And when that happens, you might be triggered. The other person may be triggered and they might stop hearing you or you might both be triggered in that moment. When the other person is triggered, they will likely respond very differently to how you would respond. And you need to be aware of that. Not everyone is like you. Okay. Very interesting and very insightful indeed, Gina. Now, these are quite a lot of good recommendations and information for the individual person. But what happens if I'm, for example, in the role of an ally? What can I do to push someone beyond the line to be their true selves as an ally or as someone who is observing exclusion? 
Well, let's start off by defining what we mean by an ally. I'm conscious that not everyone will know what that means. So an ally is someone that aligns with and supports a cause for another individual or a group of people. I've got a few different ideas here on how to be an ally in the workplace. The first thing is around learning. Read and make sure that you understand your company policies and procedures as a starting point. Then you can start by watching films and documentaries, listening to podcasts, reading articles and following key voices on social media that talk about different identities, cultures and relationships. It might also be useful to attend training events, webinars, seminars and conferences that are focused on inclusion, belonging or allyship. The second key area around allyship is support. It's really important to listen to personal experiences of your colleagues. You might ask them questions such as, what do you experience at work, socially, on public transport, when you're on holiday, for example? Listen to their response and think about what you can do to help and support them. I think it's also really important when we talk about support to be willing to have conversations with those around you to educate them on issues, challenges and how to support different communities. So share that information that you've learned with other people. Yeah. We've also got to be aware of non-inclusive behaviours in conversation. So you asked about what is it that we can do when we're in a conversation with somebody, when we recognise that they're being excluded. I just want to touch upon that for a brief moment. It's really important to be aware of non-inclusive behaviours in conversation. So if you hear other people being exclusive, speak up. If you notice that you're being exclusive, apologise, correct yourself and continue with the conversation. And then after that conversation, make the time to do the inner work needed to work on that. So you might have identified in that moment that you have bias coming into play. It might be privilege. It might be assumptions that you're making. So really make the time to do that inner work to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Now, the third area around allyship is about being visible. Make yourself visible as an ally. And you can do this in a number of different ways. You could wear a badge or a lanyard. You could attend related employee network events. You could attend events in the community. You can talk to others about your support for different communities. You could even state that you're an ally on your email signature. And the fourth area around allyship is celebrating. Celebrate with your colleagues on international and national holidays. Ask them what's of importance to them if you don't know already. Be curious, ask those questions. I think the last point is very important, the celebration one, because in the end, it's also about having fun, you know, and uh, celebrating ourselves. And uh, since it's Pride Month, when this uh, podcast will be broadcasted, I literally invite each and every one of you to celebrate this occasion because it is fun in the end and everyone wants to be happy on this occasion. Absolutely. Pride Month is a great month for celebrating. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. I totally agree. <laughs> great, Gina. Now, we've spoken a little bit about the individual. We've spoken also a little bit about allies. Now, maybe let's move into the last role, I would say, the role of a line manager, a leader, or also a team colleague. How can they help create the right experience and conditions for colleagues to bring their whole selves to work? Because I think this is what's it in the end all about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Well, the first thing is to be a role model. We're all role models to our team members and our colleagues. So role model the language, behavior, work and communication that creates a safe working environment for everyone. And that might mean expressing your worries, your concerns, your anxieties, frustrations and speaking up. Lead the way for your team members. I'm going to give you a few tips here around people and then I'll give you some tips around collaboration. Let's start then with the people. The first thing is to encourage others to find their authentic voice, to speak their truth and express themselves fully. 
Now, I believe that there are four levels of communication when it comes to communicating in collaborative spaces. The first level is deep listening, and this is where someone will feel comfortable to listen. The second level is where somebody feels able to express themselves. So someone will feel comfortable enough to speak in front of the group, and usually the bare minimum is contributed. The third level is meaningful contribution to discussion. And that's where someone will feel comfortable to contribute to the discussion and add value to that conversation. And then the fourth and final level is to contribute ideas. And this is where someone will feel comfortable to share their ideas with the group. That involves trusting other people and knowing it's a safe space for them and their ideas will be welcome. Now, I'm sure that you'll recognise each of these four from your own personal experience I'm sure you'll were nodding as as we went through that, right? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So we've got to be aware of those levels of communication, I think, and recognize where people are on that spectrum. When you're in team meetings, just observe, just be willing to observe where people are at. So that's around kind of making sure that you're aware of levels of communication and finding people's authentic voice. We've also got to remember that we need to hear all voices and include everyone. Creating a culture of hearing everyone's ideas and thoughts. That's what we're aiming for. So you're looking to encourage input and opinions from everyone, even the quiet ones, the ones with the cameras off, the ones on mute, the ones that are sat looking down at the floor and averting eye contact when you're asking a question. Those are the people we're talking about, right? And I guess we all know plenty of them, actually. Yeah, exactly. I've been one of those on many occasions. So we've got to make sure that we include everyone in the conversation. There are many different ways to do this as well. Online, you can use the chat function, you can use the hand raise button, you can use emojis, GIFs, polls, breakout rooms, even private messaging to encourage discussion and to build rapport between team members. Now, just as you would have conversations in a physical room, you can have those online. You might need to experiment a little bit to find things that work for everyone to make sure everyone has their voice heard. You might need to get a bit creative and use the tools that are available to you. The third thing I'm going to mention here around people is about clarifying expectations. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier on with individuals, but it's really important that you do this. I'm talking about the expectations that you have and the ones that other people have of you, the work and the processes that need to happen. Tensions occur when expectations haven't been clarified or expressed. I can't stress that one enough. (laughs) Yeah, I fully agree. I fully agree. Yeah, absolutely. I think... We just assume that people know what we're thinking and they don't, they don't, you know, we've got to clarify that. So the fourth thing is around understanding your own working style and that of your colleagues. We've got to remember that everyone's got different preferences in the workplace. Some people are introverted, some people are extroverted, some are more social, others are reactors, whilst other people are more reflective and need space to process. So create that space where everybody can discuss their own individual preferences and preferred working styles to make sure that everyone can express their full potential. Let's move on to collaboration. I said I'd give you a few tips for leaders in terms of collaboration. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's very helpful also for our listeners, you know. Absolutely. So the first thing that I would mention is to create a safe space for collaboration. And as a minimum, what I would expect is that your safe space has a conflict resolution plan in place. And that is basically sanctions for crossing the line. What's going to happen? You'd also want to make sure that you've got ground rules for how you're going to work together. And you want to make sure as well that you've discussed effective communication strategies. So how to get the most out of communicating in that collaborative environment. The second thing that I want to mention about collaboration is discussing how to run your meetings effectively so you can get the most out of them. 
Explore collaboratively how you're going to ensure everyone's got the opportunity to contribute and speak up in meetings and how to create and maintain fairness. Often that's the most difficult thing to do when you're in a meeting. (laughs) So just thinking about it ahead of time, talking to your team about it, having that conversation is really important. The next thing that I want to mention is about learning. So you as a leader, make sure that you're role modeling to other people, that you learn from other people. Okay. Be open to learning and experimenting and learning from your own experiences as well as others, publicly and privately. It's really important that you're able to role model that behavior to other people. The other thing that I want to mention here is about sharing your work. Share incomplete work with your colleagues. Let other people see what you're working on. Be curious, ask for their opinions, and then provide the space for them to contribute their thoughts and ideas. Build on those new ideas and pull your collective intelligence. I think it really sets the scene when you're able to interact with people in that way and show a little bit of your vulnerability and show that, you know, it's okay to share incomplete work. It's okay to ask for feedback. It's okay to discuss those mistakes that we've been making. As long as we learn from them, that's the key thing, right? So don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there because we've got to remember not everything is going to work out as you hoped or will go to plan, but you will learn from all of that process. Thank you, Gina, for sharing your insights with us today. That was very inspirational and uh, very helpful. Dear listeners, that's all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our Beyond Markets podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. On behalf of all of us at Julius Baer, thank you for tuning in and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.